0: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today?
1: Doing pretty well today, Tim. We're coming off of a uh, night last night where we raised some money for our nonprofit, Private Investigations for the Missing. And in just about an hour and 20 minutes, we raised over $1,000. So I just want to start off right from the uh, jump here with a big thank you to everybody who donated. You can still donate because we want to hit that $5,000 mark by February 3rd, which is National Missing Person Day. And you can go to investigationsforthemissing.org, where you can find a link to donate. But, Tim, I want to find the link to how you're doing today.
0: (laughs) I'm doing great. This episode, though, Lance, is about the death of Amber Ticaro. She went missing in August of 2010, last seen near Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and her remains were found in 2012. And as of this recording, her case is an unsolved murder.
1: And we were joined by Jennifer Amell. And you can just tell how frustrated the three of us are as we're talking about the, I guess, lack of investigation or lack of urgency with the law enforcement in regards to Amber's death. And you just have to feel like this has something to do with the fact that this is a native woman in Canada. And even though Canada has come to terms with the fact that they have been the perpetrators of some severe atrocities towards Native people, this is one of those examples of how back in 2010, 2011, 2012, these types of things were still happening and being severely ignored.
0: Yeah, this is a pretty egregious investigation, as you'll hear about. And if you have any information, you can submit a tip to Crimestoppers Anonymously at one 800 222 8477. And Amber's killer or killers are still out there. So if you have any information about Amber or about her case, please make the right decision and place a phone call. Again, Amber went missing on August 18th, 2010. She was 20 years old at the time of her disappearance, 5'6", 144 pounds, black hair, brown eyes, was wearing a purple hoodie, most likely, She apparently was last seen near Edmonton hitchhiking with an unknown man, and her remains
1: were found about two years later. And while you're listening to this episode, I'd like to suggest that you go to a website that is called culturalsurvival.org, and their mission is to... Advocate for Indigenous Peoples' Rights and Support Indigenous Communities' Self-Determination and Cultures' Political Resilience. Since 1972, they've been around. And you can also get a lot of good information about the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Children Movement for Change.
0: And if you love what we do here at Crawlspace but want to hear it ad free, you can do so now by subscribing to Crawlspace Premium on Apple Podcasts right there in the app. It's four ninety nine a month. You get every episode ad free and you also get our weekly bonus show. And for non Apple users, you can go to crawlspace.supportingcast.fm and sign up for Crawlspace Premium there. And follow us on social media at Crawlspace Podcast or Crawlspace Pod. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Jennifer Amel, welcome back to the podcast. How are you today?
2: I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Great work, guys, on this case that came through recently um, from Marianne White. She did fantastic work on the research for this. And I love that we're covering more missing and murdered indigenous women on this show.
1: Ditto. Same. Really, Uh, we're covering one from Canada today, but it doesn't matter where the territories lie. It doesn't matter where the borders are. It's all sort of a universal issue. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. And every one of these is tragic on so many levels. And I really appreciate the way Marianne can put these together in a narrative that is consumable, powerful and thought provoking which is what we have here.
0: Yeah, big shout-out to Marianne. And Amber Alyssa Tucaro was born on January 3rd, 1990. Amber is a Canadian First Nations person from Fort McMurray, Alberta, and she went missing on August 18th, 2010, was 20 years old at the time of her disappearance, stands 5'6", weighs about 145 pounds, black hair with blonde streaks, brown eyes, and she was last seen wearing a purple bench hoodie, and that was near Edmonton, hitchhiking with an unknown man.
2: I feel uh, connected to Amber. We have a similar birthday, and we're both Canadian. January 21st, 1990.
1: Amber was adopted by Andrew and Vivian Tucaro. She was a baby at the time, and she was welcomed into their family with four older brothers. They lived in Fort Chippewyan before later moving to Fort McMurray. And it's said that her brothers always looked after her growing up, and her mom constantly talked about dangerous people and being cautious. That, right off the bat, just strikes me as very endearing because four older brothers welcoming an adopted baby girl into their family, immediately being protective of her, just is heartbreaking right off the bat to me.
2: Yeah, it also, I also flagged it as um, like a. a stark difference in upbringing that her mother was always warning her about dangerous people and being cautious. I too am from Canada and I think like my childhood was kind of marked by safety like Canada is not really known as being a particularly dangerous country. Um, I'm from the eastern part of Canada in Quebec um, and she's from the western part of Canada in Alberta Growing up as a First Nations person in Canada, like this is a, this is a group that's um, disproportionately affected by crime, murder, domestic abuse. So I, I flag that as, as very different um, just from the get-go here. Amber and her
0: family are members of the Mikisew Cree First Nation. At the time she went missing in 2010, she was living in Fort McMurray, Alberta, with her mother and her fourteen month-old son Jacob. One source says that she was moving back and forth between her mom's house and a woman's shelter.
2: And on August 17, 2010, Amber left for Edmonton, which is the capital of Alberta, on a short vacation/slash spontaneous trip with her son and a female friend. One source says that Amber met this friend um, named Evangeline at a woman's shelter. And Amber's mother had expressed concern over this spontaneous trip, but Amber assured her that everything would be fine, and it was just for a couple of days.
0: And Amber kept in contact with her mother throughout the day, sending many texts and updates, as she always did. Amber and her friend booked a motel in nearby Nisku, as their plan was to stay in the Nisku Place motel outside the city in order to save money and then head on into the city later.
1: And sources differ on why Amber left the hotel. Some say Amber went out to get food, while others say she was too excited to wait to go to the city, so she decided to go early. But no matter the motive, we do know that Amber left the hotel on the evening of August 18th, leaving her son in the care of Evangeline.
0: That strikes me as kind of a a risky move to take, um, leaving your young child with uh, someone you don't know very well. I guess uh, maybe I'm just assuming that they don't know her very well, but doesn't seem like Amber and Evangeline knew each other for all that long.
1: Yeah,
2: that's true. I mean, they are on this trip together and I understand if it was just um, you know a short trip out to get some food or whatever it's like, hey, can you watch my son for a couple minutes? while I run out but it doesn't make any sense that uh, that Amber would leave for an extended amount of time and leave her son in the care of someone she didn't know very well.
1: Right somebody that she met at a homeless shelter obviously started a friendship with and like you said Tim this doesn't seem like it is a relationship or a friendship that goes that dates back years and years not something that is you know a childhood friend somebody that she met in a homeless shelter and is there a holiday or anything around that time frame like the 17th and 18th 19th of August that is Maybe a Canadian holiday? Or was this just truly a spontaneous trip into the city?
2: Uh, There's no Canadian holiday that I know of.
0: Amber was last seen accepting a ride with an unknown male. And Amber either received or made a phone call during this ride, where the man driving was overheard in the background saying they were heading east to Edmonton, though police now believe he was actually driving south into Ladue County. Amber suddenly stopped all communication with her mother at this time, and it is unknown exactly what time this phone call took place but it is said to be the last communication amber had with any of her friends and family and when she didn't return the next day amber's friend called her mother who in turn called the royal canadian mounted police to report her missing
1: jen there have been some rumblings about a botched investigation what do we know about this
2: yeah so amber's mother claims that the police never took her daughter's case seriously The police even told Amber's mother that she was probably out partying and would get in contact with her later, and her mother insists that Amber would never leave her baby, but the police told her that she had to at least wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report. But the police didn't interview Amber's mother or anyone uh, involved in this case uh, for four months, which is insane. I find it interesting that they alerted the RCMP before any kind of local police force because the RCMP is like a federal, like the FBI, sort of.
1: I was hoping to get some clarification on that. So the RCMP is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And you just said that they're more like the FBI. So they are called in when crimes might have been committed over certain borders?
2: Uh, potentially, or the RCMP will take over like very high profile cases and stuff, or like, um, complex homicide situations. I don't know what would make them get involved or not get involved in a missing persons case, but regardless, it seems like nobody did anything for four months in Amber's disappearance.
1: To make that clear, her mom called the RCMP and we don't know what their level of involvement was was Mm -hmm. you're just saying it was interesting that that's where she turned yeah gotcha
2: so a little bit of context around here um it's been in the news a lot over the last i want to say like 10 years it's been a huge like political platform for the left too in canada but for context there is a human rights crisis in canada where a disproportionately high percentage of missing and murdered women are indigenous or first nations in Canada, or aboriginal women represent 3% of the country's population, but 10% of its murder victims. In the epicenter of this uh, human rights crisis is the highway 49 miles north of where Amber was last seen trying to hitch a ride. Highway, that's Highway 16 in Canada between Prince George and Prince Rupert, British Columbia, and it's known as the Highway of Tears. And it's along this highway that so many indigenous women have been kidnapped and murdered.
1: What is it about this highway that makes it the epicenter of the indigenous missing and murdered women crisis?
2: Well, it's hard to really put your finger on, but I would say a lot of it stems from systemic issues such as poverty, generational trauma and domestic violence. A lot of First Nations women don't have access to vehicles, so hitchhiking is pretty common. Among them, it's a common way for Indigenous people in Alberta to travel to cities for medical care or to visit family members who are living um, uh, in these big cities. And apparently more than half of murders of Aboriginal women in Canada are unsolved. And two long
0: years passed with nothing being done to look for Amber. And on August 28, 2012, police finally released a recording of a phone call From that day, from the day Amber went missing, where Amber can be heard saying, quote, you better not be taking me anywhere I don't want to go, end quote. And Amber was on the phone with her brother, who was incarcerated at the time. And so the phone call was automatically recorded. And the call lasted 17 minutes, but only 61 seconds of the recording was released. And we're going to play a clip now. Where are we by? We're just... We're heading south of uh, Beaumont, there's north of Beaumont. We're heading north to Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this I'm is a... Are you f***ing kidding me? Not? You, you better not <laughs> take me anywhere. I don't want to go. I want to go into the city.
2: Jeez.
0: Yo, we're not going into the city, are we? Uh,
2: we're no,
0: we're not. you yes. Then we're going. So- a- these roads going to 50th Street. 50th Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, so where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street. 50th Street. East,
2: right? East. Just <laughs> over. But I wonder if Amber actually had that thought like, hey, I'll call my brother because I know that phone call will be recorded.
1: Interesting thought. I think that that is a great thing to point out because everyone's first question is why would this phone call be made to her brother who's incarcerated? Because if she's in a position where she thinks she might be in trouble, is she reaching out to police in that moment? Does she feel safe enough to call police in that moment? I don't mean like safe with the police. I mean safe with the person that she's with. So reaching out to her brother ensures her that the phone call is going to be recorded. And it also ensures whoever is with her that, hey, she's just calling her brother. Does that make sense? Like as opposed to I'm going to call the cops. And it's interesting. A few people came forward at this time claiming to know the man's identity, and they all even identified him as being the same person, an individual named Pat Carson, who is a known sex offender in Alberta. However, police have said they looked into him and he is not considered a person of interest, which is interesting that police would say one way or another whether or not someone is a person of interest. I wonder if that was like an official press statement or something unofficial that was just told to family and friends.
2: But apparently, I mean, according to police, the identity of this driver in the phone call is still unknown. But if they did know the identity of this driver, it would likely lead to a resolution in Amber's case.
0: And just four days later and two years after Amber went missing, on September 1st, 2012, horseback riders found Amber's remains in a field in Leduc
1: County. And while it's fortunate that a resolution happened, it's truly unfortunate that it was her remains that were found. And positively identified. and I'm curious if there is any sort of indication on how she died. Do we do we know anything about that, Jen?
2: Yeah, so we don't have any information like on an autopsy result. Uh, we don't have any statement from police or a medical examiner about what the state of Amber's body was. We don't have a cause of death. so it's it's really difficult to comment on this. But apparently four bodies were found in the area where Amber's body was found. And this leads some people to believe she was the victim of a serial killer.
1: And the reason for that is because the individual exhibits the same pattern of behavior. These were all indigenous women that were deposited in one area. And they were all women who were hitchhiking at the time they disappeared, all last seen around Edmonton. So that's the thinking behind a serial killer.
2: Yeah, which is quite possible. I mean, it would unfortunately makes sense for a person who is trying to murder women to go after indigenous women because we know that they're historically not treated seriously like their cases aren't treated seriously by police they don't have any resources or no resources are dedicated to finding these women so they're vulnerable victims
0: And the four women are Edna Bernard, who went missing on September 22nd, 2002, Katie Sylvia Ballantyne, who went missing on April 28th, 2003, Dolores Brower, who went missing on May 15th, 2004, and Carrie Ottenbright, who went missing on May 9th, 2004.
2: So that's interesting. That's all um, pretty close together in terms of the time period. But then we have Amber four or five years later.
0: Yeah, and a description of the vehicle that Amber was seen getting into has never been released. Seems like that would be valuable information to, uh, to put out there.
2: Yeah, like if only for a public safety announcement. It's like if these women are still hitchhiking, I mean, they've got to get to the city somehow um, if they don't have cars or whatever. But if they did put out the description of this vehicle, they would know to avoid a vehicle like that or maybe call in a tip to police if they did see that vehicle.
1: It is an interesting statement to make that the description of the vehicle that she was seen getting into was never released as opposed to phrasing it like there is no known description of the vehicle.
2: I mean, it seems like if they did have an eyewitness of Amber getting into a vehicle that they would at least know if it was a truck or a smart car or a scooter, you know. (laughs) Some some sort
1: of the color, like some range of description there. So it is It is curious why that hasn't been even stated. Like, we don't know what type of vehicle she got into. We know she was in a vehicle based on the phone call. Why did she hitchhike at all? If she, there was a car. They traveled there with a the car.
2: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, maybe she left the car because her friend had her child, and if they needed to go somewhere, it would be easier for her friend to just put the child in the car and drive. Like, if there was some reason to leave.
2: That doesn't make any sense.
1: It makes. I'm just. I'm really trying to piece <laughs> together some reasoning here why she would leave in the first place.
2: Yeah, I'd like to know more about this friend and why Amber was forced to get into another man's car.
1: And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program.
1: Also, getting back to the serial killer theory is that something that the public was talking about or the media or was the police putting the feelers out there about there being a serial killer
2: yeah good question i mean i i feel like that would probably be something in the public consciousness if uh, all of these other women's bodies were found in the same general area and that would definitely be something that the media would pick up on yeah Don't know if that was sanctioned by the police or not. But uh, concerning the investigation and the uh, lack of investigation right when Amber went missing, um, her family actually filed a complaint with the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission for the RCMP in March of 2014, The independent review of the RCMP's investigation released a 120-page report in August of 2018.
0: And the commission concluded the RCMP's investigation was, quote, deficient in that various members were either not properly trained or did not adhere to the training and that various members did not comply with procedures and guidelines, end quote. That's pretty bad.
2: Yeah.
1: You, You know, it's super frustrating that... More energy went into putting together a 120 page report on how the investigation was deficient. More energy went into that than the investigation. Yeah. Uh, And more resources probably went into that, which is super, super infuriating.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's misplaced energy for sure. But I am glad that there is some type of like oversight on the RCMP um, and that, you know, there's other agencies kind of looking into malpractice in the RCMP.
1: So was Amber ever listed as a missing person?
2: So Amber was eventually listed as a missing person, but in less than two weeks, she was removed from this list because there was a number of unconfirmed sightings.
1: Okay, what does that tell you? Does that... I'm just going to tell you what it tells me, that several people or maybe one or two people contacted police to give these unconfirmed sightings so that she would be removed from the list so that the police would think that she wasn't in danger, that she was just out on her own and not contacting her family.
2: They're like, great, now we don't have to do any work.
1: Great. Yeah, that, that's
0: what I was going to say, was that it's it's sort of confirmation bias, um, I think, on the police's part. Like, they already said that she's probably out there partying somewhere, and then when they hear unconfirmed sightings, again, unconfirmed sightings, they said, oh, no, see, we told you, she's out mm-hmm. there we don't have to do anything now
1: how does a sighting become unconfirmed and this is just a question that probably has no answer the phone call comes in and the person answering the phone says oh you saw amber tukaro where did you see her at the store okay did she seem to be in danger no perfect is there is that, and then there's no follow up
0: yeah, I would hope they, they have those the names of the people who called and reported those sightings um, because that you're right, I think that is suspicious or potentially could be suspicious.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the police never followed up on these sightings. They didn't corroborate these sightings um, with any kind of surveillance camera, with other witness statements. They just took these reports at face value.
1: But she was put back on the missing person list.
0: Yeah, she was. She was put back on the list on September 23rd, 2010, and no apology was made to the family, but the report said removing Takaro from the missing persons database was a, quote, erroneous decision, end quote. Ridiculous. (laughs) To say the least.
2: Erroneous is not strong enough of a word. Yeah. (laughs) Catastrophic, I would say.
1: Yeah. Why even take someone off the list anyway? I know. Until they're found.
0: I mean, at least confirm yeah. the sightings. I don't know. You know, it doesn't make any sense.
2: Get this, guys. The RCMP never even interviewed Amber's female friend, this Evangeline woman, the one who was traveling with Amber. She was never considered a person of interest, and her name was even redacted in the report. But I find that very strange.
0: Yeah, very polite to Angeline. And a suitcase found in the motel room containing Amber's belongings was, again, erroneously destroyed when Amber's name was taken off the missing persons list.
2: Oh, my God. That's insane.
0: Egregious. Yeah.
1: What is going on with the RCMP here?
2: I don't know, man. Like, that's that's one thing to, like, not do any work, but to actively destroy evidence or, you know, clues or the person's belongings. Like, that's crazy.
1: Or the person themselves by taking them off the list Mm
2: -hmm. and then
1: destroying evidence and not contacting the last known person that she was with
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or one of the last known people that she was with. How is her name even redacted? How is she not a person of interest? How is that not interesting just by definition that you as the technically I guess the second to last person that we know she was with that is not interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, Lance, you even brought it up like that. It was interesting that they had traveled to this motel together in a car and then Amber had to leave for some reason and didn't take the car. Like that on its face should give the police every incentive to go and talk to this friend
0: right because she either didn't let amber take her car which i'm i'm guessing it was the friend angeline's car because i think we learned earlier that amber didn't have a vehicle mm-hmm. um and or, or there was some kind of fight or something and she's like leaving uh you know l- later leaving abruptly or something like that you know
2: why would she leave her son
0: yeah that doesn't make any sense to me unless she was trying to get out of there quickly or something i mean well that makes less sense actually that yeah i don't i don't have any clue she she could be a little inebriated i would say as a as an observation from the
1: phone call
2: yeah i mean it's possible too
1: not to promote the subscription show but i can't wait to give some further theories on our subscription show about this i'm holding back a little so where are we at now with the family how did they react to this erroneous investigation
2: well, I mean, first of all, I can't even put my, myself in the place of Amber's family. I would be so lividly angry about how this was handled. But Amber's mother, Vivian, she's also known as Tootsie, um, she's become an activist. She's traveled to Ottawa um, in February of 2014 for the first ever roundtable into missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, this MMIW movement. Coincidentally, it was also the one-year anniversary of the death of her husband, Andrew. And She and dozens of families across Canada met with premiers, representatives from six national aboriginal organizations, and two federal cabinet ministers, and there she expressed her support for a federal inquiry into the issue, the issue being lack of investigation and lack of interest in missing and murdered indigenous women.
0: Yeah, and she believes this could highlight the gaps that exist, especially in the area of reporting a missing person. And here's a quote from her. She says, I guess being more caring and not just saying, oh, well, she will call anyway. She's probably just out partying. Like, have more respect and more compassion. You know, don't just treat her like she's nothing. I'm not just speaking for Amber, but for all the missing and murdered, end quote.
1: You know, that reminds me a lot of Pepita Redhair's mom, Anita, when she said that this is a human being, her daughter was a person, when will they hear our voices, this theme is universal. And Amber Brothers Paul participated in a national inquiry along with his wife, Judy, The two of them decided to take part in order to keep Amber's story alive, despite initially being told her case may not be included. And for two hours, he testified about the lackadaisical nature of the investigation into Amber's death and shared his belief that things may have turned out differently if the case had been handled properly. I think he's just stating obvious things at that moment, frustrated and stated obvious things. And he explained that various branches of different police detachments had been in control of the case throughout the course of the investigation with no one regularly updating the family on its progress.
0: And he also shared recommendations that he hoped would make a difference in solving cases involving missing and murdered indigenous women, saying police should be banned from stereotyping victims and those who do should be disciplined. He also suggested that families be allowed copies of any paperwork filed with the authorities and that the RCMP's policy about waiting 24 hours before filing a missing persons report be abandoned.
1: Brilliant. Again, he's stating obvious things. Using this frustration to make his voice be heard at this moment. I mean, it makes no sense that you need to wait 24 hours before filing a missing person's report. I mean, it's just one of these antiquated pieces of red tape that just can go away and probably not affect a single thing. Like, what's going to happen? After three hours, Somebody's you're going to get an influx of people reporting a missing person? Like, is that what they're worried about?
2: Oh, no, more information.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, the, you're right. The concern is more work. The concern is they put out a, a report, and then a few hours later, this, you know, person returns from wherever they were. You know, their friend's house, or or and they, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what they're worried about.
2: Yeah. But err on the side of caution, for God's exactly. sake, because the downside yeah. of this is that somebody gets murdered
1: or never found. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Or never found. Yeah. It's insane.
1: I love the suggestion to have police be banned from stereotyping and disciplined when they do so. Because if Amber was a white woman who was not indigenous and went missing, and if a police officer was like, she's out partying, like it would just be handled so much differently. Probably wouldn't even suggest that she's just out partying.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. And while like, I'm sure the family and other families of missing and murdered indigenous women were... Happy that this inquiry was happening, Paul, Amber's brother, shared his frustration on how disorganized this inquiry was. He's also noted how poor aftercare was for those who chose to speak at numerous hearings held across the country. And while he was offered on-site support and given information on how to apply for counseling once he got home, He says he he was unprepared to determine his own aftercare needs. I mean, this is a whole other issue of, like, secondary victims of crimes, right? Like, they just don't have anywhere to turn. They don't have any kind of plan in place to set them up with therapists, to join support groups. Like, you're just kind of left on your own to deal with this. Nobody explains to you the process of how to deal with law enforcement. Like, none of it. You're just on your own. And that's a problem in this country, too.
1: Oh, for sure. And it's very detached. You have individuals who are making these decisions and saying, here's how you apply for counseling. Okay, wipe my hands clean of you. Let's move on to the next secondary victim. Here's how you apply for counseling.
2: Right. Exactly. I mean, Canada has universal health care, so this is definitely something that could be put in place.
1: That's a great point. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our
0: sponsors. And now we're back to the program.
1: In 2017,
0: the Takaro family increased the reward for information to 5,000 and created a Justice for Amber campaign on social media.
1: And Vivian is quoted as saying, I'm 56 years old now and raising a little boy that is so full of energy. He drives me crazy, but at the same time, he's my sanity. I mean, he's all that I have left of my baby. And she's speaking of Amber, obviously. And she's talking about her grandson, Amber's son, Jacob. She goes on to say, just the way he looks at me sometimes and the way he stands like his mommy. The way he says words, he says them the way Amber used to. Like Amber had a witty attitude and that's what Jacob has. And she says this as she is sobbing about her murdered daughter.
0: And Amber's family also runs a Facebook page called Justice for Amber Alyssa Takaro. And they still regularly post on the page about how much they miss Amber and how they want to find the person who murdered her. Her mother and brother are both on Facebook and a post from Amber's brother, Paul, on September 23rd, 2021 was shared on the Justice page on July 10th, 2022. And the post says, last person seen with my sister, Amber, has been interviewed a few times and each time gave a different story. The CRCC report says that she is to be recognized as a person of interest, but the RCMP fails to recognize that, and only once COVID is over, they will attempt to contact her. But again, she's white, which means in the society we live in, she gets a free pass, and my sister doesn't matter because she's native, and they are mistaken because we will never give up, and in time, we will be given an update. And then he posts her name and a pretty clear uh, photo of her.
2: Yeah, that's a bold move. Yeah. I don't blame him, though. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so we know what she looks like, and hopefully the RCMP has interviewed her by this time. Like, when was this post made? 2021? Yeah. yeah. So a full year has passed. I certainly hope that they've at least spoken to Evangeline.
1: Man, not to get nitpicky on the details, but... What a convenient pandemic COVID is for a lazy police department.
2: Gosh, yeah. We, how many times have we heard that, too?
1: Yeah. Once COVID's over, once the pandemic's over. I mean, this is, come on, this is 11 years after she disappeared. Now, well, can't do anything about this pandemic. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, in fairness, it did, it did hold up investigations for real, too. Um, but it is also a convenient
1: excuse at times, yes.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Why can't they pick up a phone and call Evangeline? Exactly.
1: Well, they can. Well, there were some comments under the post that they don't understand why she would be a person of interest because she wasn't in the car with Amber. Amber's mother responded with, quote, there's more to the story, which I won't be going into, with a couple of exclamation points. And then a little back and forth happens with a couple other people, and Amber's mom says, quote, this is Amber's mom, and I don't have time for this, with a couple of exclamation points, end quote. And then she goes on to say, quote, fuck with your opinions with a mad face emoji
2: back in September of 2019 the family Amber's family filed paperwork to exhume Amber's remains for DNA testing as they are unsure if the skull found is actually hers and this comes from their distrust in the RCMP I don't know what would make them think that this the head found with Amber's body is not her head that's But Paul, her brother, explains that he has his doubts, given how fast the identification occurred. He also notes discrepancies between Amber's dental records and dental fillings present in the skull. They hope to compare Jacob's DNA to that of the skull's to either confirm or deny it belongs to Amber. Jacob, Amber's son, is now a teenager.
0: And on January 24th, 2020, the RCMP publicly stated that they had received a tip on Amber's homicide profile. And here's the quote. In early December 2019, the Banff RCMP was contacted by a male who alleged that his father may be responsible for a missing person from the Banff area. The male also stated that he believed that his father may be linked to numerous missing persons and homicide files in Alberta. On January 20th, 2020, the mail advised the RCMP that he believed his father to also be involved in the disappearance and murder of Amber Tucaro.
1: end quote. Well, the RCMP did investigate that information, but determined it was unsubstantiated. They said the person who reported the tip has a history of fabricating tips, and some of the cases he said his father was responsible for had already been solved. So just to further convolute things.
2: I mean, that's definitely a thing that happens, right? Like,
0: yeah, yeah. We we were just talking about it. How that's kind of a phenomenon that uh, that we should dig into. So maybe yes, maybe we can probably episode. do a few
1: episodes of cases that have had family members come forward to say my father was involved or my grandfather was involved, and it turns out that they are serial fabricated tippers.
2: Well, I don't know if if that's true. Like, I don't know if like this is an outlier about a person who has fabricated tips before, but it certainly is a phenomenon that women have come forward suspecting their husband's father's boyfriends of being serial killers or murderers in some respect. I think that hints at a larger problem of like domestic abuse and poor behavior from men, but we can definitely potentially get into that on our subscription show.
0: And according to Vivian's personal Facebook page, Amber's brother, Billy Joe, recently ran for and was elected as Chief of the Mikaso Cree First Nation. Good
2: for That's him. That's incredible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good. And the Leidoux Detachment of the RCMP is currently asking those with any information regarding Amber's murder to contact them. They have shared her description in the hopes it would jog someone's memory. And at the time of her disappearance, she stood 5'6", weighed approximately 145 pounds. She had black hair with blonde streaks in her eyes. Are brown she is believed to have been wearing a purple bench hoodie
1: and those with information regarding the case can contact the alberta rcmp at 780-412-5261 or the leduc rcmp at 780-980-7267
2: tips can also be called into project care spelled k-a-r-e at 1-877-412-5273 or 780-509-3356, or you can submit anonymously via Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. And if you are trying to call from this country in the United States, be sure to include the country code of one.